0: Thank you for listening to the All Souls Church Sermon Podcast. We are a counter-formational community devoted to following Jesus together in real life. For more information, go to allsouls.church. Come to you in the great name of our Lord Jesus, and we come by the power of your Spirit. And God, we are here to worship you. We're here to hear from you. Uh, thank you, God, for what you're doing here. Thank you, for the people that are here in this day of our soft launch of this All Souls Church. We dedicate this church to your glory. We dedicate this church for you being known in the Los Angeles area. Lord, let your name be known through us. We pray that many will come, many will be baptized, many will see Christ, many will know him. Uh, Lord, draw your people to yourself. Uh, not only in our church, but in every church that is preaching your gospel, draw your people to yourself in this area. And God, we pray for our church as we move into the future together. Uh, We ask, God, that we would be in your presence, walking with you, hearing from you, ministering to people for your glory. And so, Lord, we ask now that as we open your word and we hear from your word right now, we pray that you would speak to every person in this room. Uh, I pray for you to speak deeply to Christians who have been walking with you for years. I pray for you to speak deeply to people who are in the midst of pain and trial. I pray for you to speak to people that don't know you. I pray that you would open every eye and open every ear so that we can hear your word. And so we pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so we're going to now get into the text of scripture. The the text that we just read, uh, we're now going to get into the sermon. So with that, uh, if you don't already have it open, open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 14, and that's where we're going to be today. And uh, we've been moving through in this church uh, the book of Matthew for some time. And now we're kind of in a new section of the book Book of Matthew, chapters 14 to 17. Uh, We are doing the series called Doctrines for All Souls from that section. And the idea is this, that in this section of Scripture, many of the doctrines, that the teachings that became core to Christianity are developed by Jesus. And then later we have the apostles kind of continue to develop those things and open them up to us. But we have the core of it taught by Jesus here in this section of Scripture. And so each week we're going to be looking at a particular doctrine and then how that matters to our life. So the doctrine and then how that matters to our life each week. And so this particular week we're going to be looking at Jesus in particular and what Jesus' ministry is to us. So as you're seeking to understand who Jesus is, maybe you're somebody who's looking into Christianity, or maybe you're somebody who has been walking with God, Uh, it's important to understand who Jesus is for you and how he ministers to you so you can understand uh, his role in your life and so you can understand what he is intending to do. And so today, this is the the main doctrine we're going to learn, is that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. Okay, so he is your prophet, priest, and king. And so whether you know it or not, God determined that what you needed most was a prophet, a priest, and a king. Now, in the Old Testament, you had prophets, priests, and kings. But when Jesus comes along, he fulfills all three of those roles in himself, that he becomes our prophet, our priest, and our king. And so, what, what I, the emphasis there is this, that you need, in your connection with God, what you need, you probably think you need a lot of things, but what you really need is you need a prophet, a priest, and a king. So as a prophet, uh, we see, and so we're going to see these three portraits of Christ and these three stories of Jesus. As a prophet, Jesus speaks for God. He speaks to us the word of God. In fact, Jesus is even called the word of God by the apostle John. So if you think about what a word is, a word is a rational expression of an idea or a thought or a concept. Well, Jesus is the Word of God, the prophet, and he is the rational expression of who God is. So if we want to understand who God is, we don't contemplate our navel. Instead, we look at Jesus. If we want to know who God is, we don't, uh, you know, it's not, we don't get to know God just by looking at nature. That's partially how we get to know God. But we also look at Jesus, and that's how we get to know who God is. So Jesus is the prophet that reveals God's will for us. And whether you know it or not, what you need is a prophet in your life. And Jesus is that prophet. He is also a priest. A priest functions as a mediator between God and man. So a priest is somebody who stands between us and God as a mediator to connect us to God. And Jesus is that priest who fulfills everything that we need. He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He rises from death. And when he does that, he does it on our behalf as our priest. So he is the priest that makes the offering, and like in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals. So he's the, makes the offering, but he himself is the offering and the sacrifice as the priest, okay? And then the last thing is he's a king. We all need to be ruled. Now, as, as self-sufficient uh, people who are sinners and broken, we don't often understand that we need to be ruled, Uh, but Jesus Christ comes to rule over us, not in some kind of oppressive way, but instead he rules over us as the exact kind of king that we would always want and always need. He's the kind of king that lays down his life for you. He's the kind of king that provides for you. He's the kind of king that wants the best for you. And so this is who Jesus is to us. He's our prophet, our priest, and king. In this story, we're going to see that the prophet, priest, and king comes to us at the places of our own limitations. The prophet, priest, and king comes to us uh, in our fears and in our suffering. We meet God when we are disappointed, when we're frustrated, when we're devastated or we're grieving. We meet God when we fail or we fall or we stumble or we struggle. Now, it would be nice if we met God in in, in the, the better moments of life, and we do. But oftentimes, until we come to the end of ourselves and we see our limitations, we don't really understand how desperately we do need God. And these three stories show us that as prophet, priest, and king, that we do need him desperately. One of uh, a pastor that I like out on the East Coast, his name is John Zoll. He said this, God's office is at the end of your rope. In other words, when you get to the end of yourself, you're at the end of your rope, that's the place where you get most honest with God, and that's the place where you really press in to meet with God. Uh, I would be willing to bet that most of us in this room, if you are a Christian, you came to know God at places of desperation, at places of need. Uh, Maybe you even were converted at that kind of a place, that you had nothing else, and so you reached out to him and he saved you. But also the same is true in your Christian growth, that it's often true that we grow the most in pain and suffering and limitation because it's in those places that we find who God is for us. And it's in those places we find that God uh, is our Savior and our provider. So God's office is at the end of your rope. And I want to say this today, my main point is, your prophet, priest, and king is at the end of your rope. So where you really hear the voice of the prophet Where you really feel the ministry of the priest, where you really understand that you need a ruler and a king, is at the places of your desperation and your need. And when you get to his office, he will minister to you as a prophet, a priest, and a king. All right, now let's look at this text to unfold this. First, he is a prophet. Now, this particular section of Jesus feeding the five thousand reminds us of, uh, actually, it brings to mind a a text in the Old Testament that Moses uh, said. Moses wrote down. So, Moses, being the kind of the quintessential guy of the Old Testament, uh, and revealing God's will and giving God's law and pointing us to the future coming Savior, Moses said this, and it'll be up on the screen in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy eighteen, verse fifteen. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. So Moses says, uh, out of the Jewish nation, there's going to come this prophet. And listen to him. He is the prophet. Moses is saying, I'm a prophet. And there are many prophets in the Old Testament. But Moses is saying he is the prophet of God. He is the one that we're all waiting for. He is the one that reveals to us fully the will of God. And that's what we see in this section. Moses was the one who, who led God's people, and through God, through Moses, provided for his people in the wilderness. And now we have Jesus in the wilderness, ministering to this great crowd of 5,000 men. And then we know that there are women and children, so probably close to 14,000 people are gathered here at this time. And Jesus is in the wilderness, feeding his people, ministering to his people. It's in the wilderness that he feeds his people. And it's in the wilderness that God will often feed you when you're at the end of your rope. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at this. Verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. What he had heard is that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed by Herod. And so Jesus is grieving, and he wants to be alone, and he wants to go and pray and be with God. And so he goes to try and be by himself. But look at this in the middle of verse 13. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him from the towns. So Jesus could never get away from the crowds. He he was always trying to get to a place by himself to be with God and to pray. And by the way, if Jesus needs to pray, how much more do we need to pray? We're going to see Jesus pray three times in in this uh, particular passage. And I just want to say as a side note, the most important part of your spiritual life is your prayer life. Now, I would also say uh, corporate prayer, what we're doing together right now when we gather on Sunday, that is part of that prayer life. But spending time with God, praying to him each day, uh, that is crucial for your understanding of God and growth in God. And so if Jesus needed to do it, how much more do we need to do it? Okay, so verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, when you think of this crowd, uh, we know, but from the passage itself, that this crowd is filled with people that are sick, people that are homeless, people that are broken, and uh, and Jesus has this powerful compassion. Now, the other day, uh, a few of the staff members from All Souls, we went over to Langer's Deli. Anybody ever been to Langer's Deli? Okay, the best pastrami sandwich on earth. Okay? Now, it's not just me saying that. I read an article in the New Yorker that in the New Yorker, they said it's the best pastrami sandwich. Okay? Now, if you know anything about New Yorkers, they think they have all the best food. But this particular New Yorker said the best pastrami sandwich on earth is Langer's Deli. And so we went there. It was incredible. Uh, I could go on and on about how they cook the meat and how they do the bread. You got to go. But you need to understand something about the area when you go. There's a swap meet there. Uh, Pastor Justin actually was negotiating in the swap meet, buying things in Spanish. It was, it was amazing. Uh, but we were uh, there. There's a big swap meet, and it's across the street from MacArthur Park, and there's a lot of homeless people. There's a lot of drug-addicted people. And I remember, like, walking from the car, just feeling like, okay, I'm, on my, I'm watching what's going on. I want to make sure everybody's safe. I want to, you know, it, was, it felt like a dangerous situation. As we were driving up, there was a woman standing there with a knife yelling at somebody, okay? So that was the situation. Now, me, as a broken sinner, as I'm entering into that situation, I'm feeling all kinds of, like, intensity, and I'm watching things out. But look at the way Jesus responds to that kind of a crowd, a crowd filled with people with needs, a crowd with people that are uh, the outcasts of society. Look at how Jesus uh, responds here. When he's, and remember, he's trying to get away to pray. He he went to sower and he saw a great crowd. Verse 14, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick, their sick. So he sees this crowd, and he's filled with compassion. It's actually, uh, this is written in the Greek language. And when it's written down in the Greek language, he uses the word splegizomai, which is from the bowels. He's filled with compassion and love as he sees the crowd. And so this is the kind of prophet that Jesus is. He's the kind of prophet that is filled with compassion for people in desperate need. Verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So basically, they'd been ministering all day, and if you read between the lines, the disciples are like, Man, we've been ministering all day. We're tired, we're hungry. And so they use the excuse of send the crowds away because they need to eat. But the thing is, Jesus is with the crowds. He he doesn't want to leave. And the crowds don't want to leave Jesus. And Jesus knows that. The disciples are just tired of working. They're ready to go home. They're ready to rest for the evening. I love what Jesus does here. Uh, He says to them, remember there's like 14,000 people here. He said to them, uh, verse 16, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. So 14,000 people, he's like, you guys figure it out, feed these people, because I want to be with these people. These people want to be with me, and so that's what we're going to do. And, of course, they're like, Jesus. He's always saying Jesus things, you know. He's always got like, he's always, you, you figure it out, you feed them. And they're like, man, we, how are we supposed to do that? Look at this. In the next uh, verse here, in verse 17, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Okay, so think of a couple of... Uh, pickled fish or dried fish, very small, and then think of like pita bread. Don't think of like a big French roll. Think of just like little flatbread, okay? And that's all they have. Now look at the next verse. Verse 18, and he, that's Jesus, said, bring them here to me. In other words, take that little that you have and bring it to me. They were looking at the circumstances, the 14,000 people, the fact they only had this much food. Jesus is telling them to feed. And they're looking at the circumstances saying, this is impossible, Jesus. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Whatever you bring to me, I can multiply. Whatever you bring to me, I can fix. They they had to take the limitations that they had. There's no way they could do it in and of themselves, and they brought it to Jesus, and Jesus can do something with it. And that's actually true of every one of our lives. The little that we have, we bring to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is the one that does it. But here, I want you to see, the disciples have to face their own limitation. Jesus wants them to see, you're limited. You can't do it. You need me. And that's what he says to all of us. Whatever God is calling to you to do in your life, you—the uh, only way you can do what God is calling you to do is if you give what you have to Jesus and let Him do the work through you. Let Him multiply. Let Him strengthen. Let Him lead. Let Him be your prophet. So look at what Jesus does. Verse 19. Then He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. It reminds us of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So he sits them down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. So once Jesus got involved, everybody got fed. I I think it's interesting to see how Jesus, not only cares for the spiritual needs of the people, but also the physical needs of the people. And keep in mind that most of the people in this crowd were very poor, and he wants to care for them. He wants to feed them. Uh, remember when Jesus gets betrayed by Judas, and Judas is, takes the money and he runs out? What was interesting about that passage, I read it this week, is that the disciples assumed something when Judas left with the money. What they assumed was, it says, that either he was going to buy food for the feast or he was going to feed the poor. So when Jesus spends money, it's for a feast or the poor. And that was the assumption of the disciples. And here we see Jesus feeding everybody. Jesus is the one that feeds us as the great prophet. He feeds us with his word. He feeds us in our life. He's caring for all of our needs. But what we have to see is that we are limited that we cannot take care of ourselves, we cannot provide for ourselves, and we certainly can't do what God is calling us to do as far as the ministry by ourselves. And so the prophet, priest, and king is at the end of your rope, and here we see the prophet meeting the needs of the people in the wilderness. All right, now let's look at Jesus as a king. Verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and after he dis- had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus, again, dismisses everybody, dismisses the disciples, say, go get in the boat, go on the other side of the lake. I need to pray. And Jesus had this pattern of getting away to pray, to be with his Father. And that pattern shows us, you know, if Jesus is the Son of God, a sinless, perfect human being, and he prays, and he makes that his priority in his life, uh, this is something that we need as well. And I don't say that to guilt or shame. That guilt and shame will never motivate you to pray. What, what will motivate you to pray is that you see that you have a God who is there, who wants to be with you, who wants to provide for you, and, and he invites you into prayer. And you get to come. And this is what Jesus understood. And he also understood that the power that would come through him would come from his Father as he's living on earth. All right. So he goes away to pray, and he's there alone. Uh, Verse 24, But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So the disciples now are in the boat, and there's waves and there's wind. Now, uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, I've actually been there before. It's kind of like about the size of Big Bear Lake a lot smaller than Lake Tahoe, but it's a pretty sizable lake, and it's surrounded by mountains. And there are these winds that come through, and it creates this circular effect on the lake. And so uh, in ancient times, people died all the time from fishing on the lake. Even in modern times, people have to be careful, even with modern equipment on that lake as well. And when the wind is swirling, they don't take the tours out on the lake because it can get so rough. Well, this is one of those situations. The, the, the wind and the waves, and the disciples are there, and they, they, they think they're going to die. They're not, it doesn't take that long to get across this lake, but they can't make it across because of the wind and the waves, and they're terrified. They're at the end of their rope. They need a king. They need help. Look at this, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So what we see here is Jesus as king. He is the king of creation. He is the king of creation that could step on water and it becomes concrete under his feet. The reason why is because he's the one who created the water. And so because he had created the water, he can make the water do whatever he wants the water to do. And he comes walking to them on the water. Now, I want to take a moment to say this. Miracles are when God interrupts the natural order. Miracles are not something that happen all the time. They're miracles for a reason. Even in the ministry of Jesus, you know, he lived 33 years, but he only did miracles for three of those years, and he never did a miracle to show off. He never did a miracle as a kind of a cool magic trick. Every miracle that he did meant something and was teaching something. And what he's teaching us here is this. I'm the king. I'm the king that created this world. I'm the king that created you. And I'm the king that can command the water to become concrete under my feet. But as he comes to them in their fear, in their distress, they see him, but they don't see him correctly, right? They see him and they think, that must be a ghost, Even though they've been with Jesus every day and they've seen him, they know what he looks like, but they assume he's a ghost. Oftentimes, when God comes to us in our trial and in our pain and our struggle, when we're afraid, when we think things are falling apart, as they do, they think they're going to lose their life. We don't see God correctly. But yet he comes to them as well. He comes to them just the same. And I love his compassion. I love the way that Jesus meets us in our fears and he doesn't go, you know what? Get your act together. I'm Jesus Christ. I've been with you every day. Of course I can walk on water. What's your problem? Instead, he meets them in that fear. And look what he says. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. So first, take heart. Have courage. I'm in here now. It's going to be okay. I'm your king. Uh, but then he says this. It is I. Now, I was doing some study this week, and I, was, I mentioned this was originally written by Matthew in the Greek language, uh, and some of the commentators pointed out something really interesting. The, the words that in, our, in the Eng, English Standard Version are translated, it is I, is actually just I am. Ego mean in Greek. I am. Now, if you uh, have read... Exodus, you will know that in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses uh, comes into encountering God, and he asks God, what is your name? Who are you? And God says to Moses, I am. In other words, what he said to Moses is, I I just exist. I am God. I, I have no limitations. I'm outside of all of this. I am. And Jesus Christ comes as king to his disciples in the midst of their pain and fear, just like he comes to you in the midst of your pain and fear, and he says, take heart, I am. In other words, Jesus is making a claim to be God, and he's saying, as your God, I'm here. Don't look at your situation. Don't look at the stress. Don't look at the waves. Don't look at the wind. Look at me. I'm here. Do not be afraid. This is the most common command in the Bible, by the way. Do not be afraid. It's been pointed out that 366 times some version of do not be afraid is in the Bible. One for every day of the year and leap year, 366 times God says do not be afraid. Why? Because as fallen humans, as limited humans, we are often crippled by fear. And so he comes and he meets them in the midst of their fear and says, do not be afraid, I'm your king. Now, what is interesting next is Peter's, if you know anything about Peter, I love Peter and uh, I also cringe when I read about Peter and partly because Peter reminds me of myself. Peter's always the guy that's like speaking up too soon. Uh, He's always the guy that's like, you know, Uh, he's kind of the guy that walks mouth first into a room just saying things, Uh, and he often says very stupid things, and he does a lot of stupid things. Um, So I can sympathize with Peter, but here Peter's like, Lord, he gets it for a moment. He finally gets it. He's like, Lord, if it's you, and you're I am, you're God, command me to come walk on. I want to walk on the water. Let me get out there. And so Peter steps out of the boat and begins to walk on the water, and as long as he's Fixated on Jesus Christ, he's actually walking on the water with Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is a miracle. This is not something that's going to happen all the time. But God is teaching something here. He's saying, "You with me can do the impossible, but you by yourself are limited and flawed, and you can't do it all." So he steps out, and he's able to walk on the water. But then it says he he starts to uh, see the wind. He starts to see the waves. He gets his eyes off of Christ. And he starts to sink. And he cries out to Jesus, save me. And Jesus takes him by the hand and saves him. So at the end of Peter's rope, at the end of the disciples' rope, Jesus appears as king and rules over them. Jesus appears as king and, not only, and doesn't rule over them in some kind of oppressive way, but in a way to care for them and shepherd them. As a king, he is a great, humble, loving shepherd. But look at verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, "Oh, you have little faith, why do you doubt? Now, don't, don't think that Jesus is scolding Peter here. Jesus taught that if you have a little faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, you can be right with God. If you have a little faith, you can do great things. He's pointing out that we all have little faith. I mean, Peter had enough faith to step out on the water. That's a lot of faith, but he still has little faith. And I think that some of us feel like our faith should be bigger and greater and that we shouldn't have the doubts that we have. But the reality is we all have a little faith sometimes. And sometimes we're just hanging on by a thread. And the reality is is that God is the one hanging on to us. As Peter slips into the water, God picks him up and holds him up out of the water. And this reality is true for us as well. What this passage is teaching, it's not just like, hey, look at Jesus doing a cool magic trick. Instead, what this passage is teaching us is that God is with us in the trial, in the pain, in the limitations. And when we have him, we can do things and we can understand things and we can connect to things that we could not without him. All right, last story, the shortest one. Verse 34 And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Here we see Jesus as priest. You see, the priests would be the ones who would work in the temple, make the offerings, but also the priests were health officers of Israel, if you read the book of Leviticus. And and they would often uh, minister to the people's physical needs and health needs as well. And so here Jesus, everywhere Jesus goes, he's healing. And again, it's not because he's just doing magic tricks. The reason why he's healing is he's showing that with my presence— When I come into uh, the world, when I come into your life with my presence, I am king, and wherever I go, my kingdom comes. And wherever my kingdom comes, the effects of sin, the effects of the broken world are healed. And so every time Jesus heals, he's healing, uh, showing us that one day he's going to heal this whole place. In his return, everything will be healed. And so we get these little snippets of how he heals as a priest. And and one of the cool things in this passage is this. They they just wanted to touch the fringe of his garment. They're like, Jesus, you don't got to do anything. We just want to touch the fringe of your garment. What's that all about? Well, look at this passage uh, from Malachi up on the screen. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So uh, in the Old Testament, we have this teaching, this prophecy of the Messiah would have healing in his wings. And so there was all this discussion about what that meant. Now for a Jewish man, a Jewish man would wear uh, oftentimes a prayer shawl. So think of like a a long, uh, like kind of a square scarf that they would fold up and they would put over them as a prayer shawl and it would hang down. and and when it would hang down, it looks like wings because it would hang over your arms. So if you would lift your arms, it would look like wings. And so the discussion began to happen in Israel about the Messiah, and that when the Messiah comes, he would have healing in his wings. And so when they touch the fringe of his garment, they're talking about the wings of his prayer shawl. And they believe that even if they just touched His prayer shawl, they would be healed. And by their faith, they connected to his priestly power and they were healed. And this is also true for us. As we reach out to Jesus, we are healed. He he is actually the one that is reaching out to us and healing. And he's healing them with, with power. And this is what Jesus does: He heals as our priest. So I want you to see this. He speaks to you, he doesn't leave you in the dark as a prophet. He he is a king for you because you need leadership. You need someone to rule over you. You've already demonstrated by your life that you ruling over your life has caused a lot of problems. You need a king, but you also need a priest. You need somebody who will heal you, and Jesus Christ is the priest that heals you. Here he healed physical ailments, but in his life and his death and his resurrection, he heals our souls. He heals us by living the perfect life that we could not live, and then he gives us that perfect righteousness. He heals us by dying on the cross for our sins, and that heals us from those sins, and we are completely forgiven because he died on the cross. And he heals us when he rises from death. Because when he rises from death, it's a promise that we will rise from death. That everything that is broken will be healed. That everything that is sad will become untrue, as Tolkien said. That that he will ultimately heal this whole place. The cross is a picture of that. So right now, by faith in Christ, our souls are healed. One day this whole world will be healed. By the prophet, priest, and king. But I want you to see this. When you come to those places of limitation, when you come to those places of desperation, that is where God is speaking to you. C.S. Lewis said that in our pain, God is speaking to us with a megaphone. It's at the places of limitation, suffering, wounding that Jesus meets us as the prophet, priest, and king and provides everything for us. Each week, as we gather, we take time to think about and reflect on this gift that Christ has given us through the Lord's Supper. The bread represents his perfect life that he lived for us as our prophet, priest, and king. The cup represents his death on the cross and where he heals us through his own blood. And so as we take this, we're receiving something from Jesus. Just as you receive the gospel, you receive the bread and the wine, and you receive it saying, I believe you, I believe you meet my needs, I trust you, and each week we do it so that we can be reminded of it. You see, we hear God here, and we see God there. And when we take the elements into ourselves, it's an act of faith that we believe that the prophet, priest, and king is the healer, is the savior of our souls. So with that, uh, in just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But before we do, I want to say this. Everything in our service is for all souls, whether you believe or not. This particular part of our service is for Christians only. And the reason why is because it's it's a declaration of faith. It, It means something deeply to Christians. And so if you're not a Christian, I would just say uh, don't get up in a moment and come and take this. Not because we're trying to be exclusive, but because we don't want you to proclaim something that you don't believe. And that we also want to say that when you do believe, this will be for you. And you'll come and take it. So this is not uh, for non-Christians, but the gospel is. And here's what I would say. If today, if you heard the voice of Christ and you weren't a Christian before you came in here then let your first believe in Christ and let your first act as a Christian to come up and take your first communion with the Christians. But if you're not ready for that, just, just stay in your seat and maybe ask God if he's there and if he's real. With that, let us rise as we will in the resurrection and come to the table of our Lord.